Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Caroline Odom. On this episode, I speak with Will Carr, an ABC News correspondent based in Los Angeles, California. Will began his career as a reporter and anchor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and then Albuquerque, New Mexico. Before joining ABC in 2018, Will was a national correspondent for Fox in Los Angeles. Will's reporting experience covers a wide variety of topics, from violent protests to natural disasters. Will has covered the 2016 campaign trail, documented cartel violence in Mexico, investigated accountability at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and reported on the 2015 San Bernardino terrorist attack. Will is also a proud bulldog. He studied broadcast news at the University of Georgia and is a member of the 2019 40 Under 40 class. This award recognizes the achievements of UGA graduates under the age of 40. Today, Will joins me to talk about covering the California wildfires in 2020 and how he prepares to report on potentially dangerous situations. He also shares how he found his passion for broadcast journalism, his approach to work-life balance, and the importance of critical thinking and adaptability. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Additionally, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, this episode of The Lead was recorded over Zoom. Thank you for your patience with audio imperfections. Now, here's The Lead. Hi, Will. Welcome to The Lead. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hey, great. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime I can talk to uh, anybody associated to UGA, I always look forward to the conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. You're definitely a star around Grady, and I think a lot of people are going to be very excited to hear this episode. So let's jump right in by talking about This past August, August of 2020, when you covered the wildfires in California, which were some of the most catastrophic in the state's history. And then on top of that, the news was flooded with updates regarding the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. So what was your approach to covering such a difficult subject, especially during a very tough year? Well, I think looking back at it, that none of us uh, knew how monumental this story was going to be COVID and the pandemic. Uh, At the beginning, I think back to covering some of the first uh, cases that were here in California, and I had no idea that this would end up being one of the biggest stories of our lifetimes. Um, And so I think everybody everywhere across the world has had to adjust to some extent, and journalists certainly have had to as well over the past year. I mean, it's been bizarre in some ways. I remember last year I was in San Francisco uh, covering some protests and it felt like I was in a rural part of the country because we couldn't find hotels, we couldn't find food, uh, finding restrooms was difficult because gas stations were closed. And on top of that, we're trying to stay safe, we're trying to stay healthy, we're trying to report these critical stories that are going on and juggling all that Uh, in the middle of a pandemic, which none of us have ever covered before in our lifetimes, has been challenging. But like I said, it's one of of these stories where I think we definitely will look back and say, wow, that was one of the, if not the biggest stories of our lifetimes. So it's been uh, been quite the year. So when it comes to covering those wildfires, 
How do you develop a reporting relationship with firefighters and first responders at a time when they are under such intense pressure doing their jobs? And then similarly, you know, how do you interact with people who are seriously impacted by the fires who have maybe lost their homes or loved ones? Well, when it comes to the firefighters, I mean, the first thing you have to do is show respect because there's a lot of journalists who sort of show up and, you know, don't show respect. They act like hotshots, quite literally. And uh, that can sort of rub the firefighters the wrong way. You also want to show them that you have a respect for safety, because if you do that, they're going to be much more willing to actually work with you. Uh, and to a degree, you have to keep in mind that we're all in this together. When you're on the front lines with firefighters and they've earned, you've earned their respect, uh, they almost look at you as a firefighter because we train with firefighters out here in California. We train with Cal Fire. And so, uh, you know, we're with these guys on the front lines. And if you can show them that you have that respect for safety, you have that respect for their crews and our crews, then uh, you sort of get that mentality of, you know, we're all going to get through this together. Um, as for the second part of your question, people who have lost their homes or even worse, their loved ones through uh, a natural disaster or through the pandemic, uh, I mean, it's incredibly difficult. There's, there's not much that I can say that will help them in, in a scenario like that. The best thing that I can do is listen. For some people, not all, uh, and you want to be very respectful when you're talking to people, uh, you ask them if they'd like to share their story. And if they do, that can be very therapeutic for them. And, you know, there's been a lot of people over the years who I've actually ended up staying in touch with because you just end up caring about how they're doing as humans. And, you know, I think that's probably the hardest part of the job for sure. In addition to covering these wildfires, you've covered a lot of events throughout your career that could be viewed as dangerous, not even could be viewed, are dangerous. Um, you've covered drug cartels, you've reported on violent protests, and then you have the weather events like covering Hurricane Harvey and a volcanic explosion in Hawaii. Some people may look at your job, see you covering on TV and say, that's crazy. So what motivates you to enter these situations that may be dangerous? Well, it started when I was at Grady at UGA, and I always wanted to report on uh, national and international stories. So even today, I still have this inclination to want to be on the biggest stories going on, uh, not only in the country, but in the world. You know, along the way, you cover some of these things and you just stop and think, wow, this is really, really important for the nation or the world. or just for me on a personal level, I remember a couple of years ago when I was covering the volcano in Hawaii, standing there and I was watching this river of lava flow. And I remember thinking to myself, when will I ever see something like this again? And the answer is probably never. And I was just so fascinated and moved by that experience that that's the type of thing that motivates me to uh, continue on uh, covering these types of stories. Do you do anything to prepare mentally for times when you know that the events you're covering could put your personal safety at risk? Yeah, well, I mean, there's several things. On a personal level, I do a lot of meditation, yoga, uh, a lot of things to try to help me stay mentally stable. 
in those situations. We also, like I mentioned, we train with CAL FIRE. So that's a safety aspect. We also, uh, we being ABC News, we train with some former British uh, special service guys up in the uh, woods of New York every um, couple of years. It's basically like a terror training class where they take you up into the woods for a week and they run you through a variety of different scenarios that could be terror attacks, active shooter scenarios, bombs. Uh, uh, I mean, pretty much anything that you see on the news as some type of disaster, they run us through these things to show to us how exactly how you would react if you're in these or when you're covering these. And that has actually paid off uh, in dividends for me throughout the course of my career, being able to uh, go train with those guys. Wow. I bet you never imagined when you were a journalism student that your future career would require that type of training. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. And honestly, I mean, I do, I do enjoy the adrenaline. So I love like going in the woods and they chase you around with AK-47s and they're shooting at you and stuff. And I mean, there's an aspect of it that it's, it's, it's really fascinating. It's so interesting to learn when we go do these things. The biggest takeaway is no matter what scenario you find yourself in, the worst thing that you can do is not make a decision because they throw us in these scenarios and we as groups say, well, we should do this. No, we should do that. And we end up wasting 30 minutes because we can't make a decision about what we're doing something. And they always say that's the most dangerous thing that you can do is not make a decision. And so I think about that almost every day when I'm trying to go do something and I'm like, all right, look, this is tough, but like, let's make a decision. Sometimes it's the right decision. Sometimes it's not. But, you know, that's what they've trained us to do is to make that decision, because if you're just waffling, that's that's about the worst thing you can do in, in really high octane situations. I can imagine that that advice carries well into a lot of different areas of life, and I may need to take it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So before joining ABC, your career at Fox led you to cover the campaign trail in 2016, investigate accountability at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and document cartel violence in Mexico. As a reporter, how do you approach having to become the expert on such a wide variety of topics? So I think it goes back to the skill set that my professors helped me develop back at UGA, back in Grady, and it was critical thinking. So important that if something feels off, question it, try to figure out what's going on, find the facts. And on top of that, reading. Reading is just so important. And I just can't emphasize enough. I mean, every morning I read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Los Angeles Times. And without even watching the broadcast news shows that I'm par part of and I uh, keep track of, Reading those three inform me so much about the issues that are going on around the country and around the world, because I never know exactly when I'm going to be dropped into a situation. And you don't want to be dropped into one of those situations and not know anything about the subject. So the more you read, the more you educate yourself, self-education is quite critical. And like I said, I go back to, uh, you know, the professors at UGA and at Grady are just fantastic at just instilling that level of critical thinking that you need to be successful in a business like this. I like your comment about reading. And I, I think often when we've, when I've asked for advice from other journalists, I haven't heard that one as much. At Grady now, we are taught as journalism students to function as multimedia journalists. We're writing, we're doing broadcasts, we're doing photo. How did you learn that you were interested in broadcast journalism? 
So I walked on the football team my freshman year uh, and was really just a tackling dummy. I was not, I never played. <laughs> I just got my butt kicked. And once that fizzled and I realized my athletic career had come to an end, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I realized that I wanted uh, to possibly go into sports broadcasting, try to be on ESPN or something like that. So I got into the broadcasting program and eventually ended up on news source and uh the first day of being a news source i had convinced the professors to let me be a sports anchor but something happened there was a breaking news story and they said oh we need you to go report on this story and it was a hard news story and they threw me out the door and i didn't know what i was doing and when i came back i realized that i loved news i loved hard news and it was just one of those uh, points in my life where it was just like an aha moment for me. And I said, wow, I really like sports, but I, I like it more as a hobby. And this news thing, like, man, I really feel like that's in my DNA and that I could do pretty well with that. And so I sort of just took that and, and ran with it. Awesome. I know sometimes it's great to learn all of the skills, but sometimes that can be hard when you have an interest in all of them. For sure. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I've seen with students over the years that that hinders them is that uh, they can be reluctant to ask questions or to try to tag along or to try to figure out how to do something because they see somebody like myself or other people in this profession, they get a little intimidated by it. And that is actually the people who, you know, sort of stick their nose into every conversation and say, oh, hey, what can I do? How, how does this work in a non-annoying way? They're the ones who end up thriving over the long run. So I would, my advice would be, you know, anytime that you can learn more about whatever it is, whether it's journalism or whether it's something else, you know, take it upon yourself to try to learn as much as you can about that from the people who are the experts in that field. So I want to move into how you find work-life balance. And you kind of touched on this earlier when you mentioned enjoying meditation and yoga, but you do not work the typical nine to five by any means. So how do you approach that work-life balance? It's definitely not nine to five. I mean, essentially my job is they could call me right now and they did right before (laughs) we started talking and say, hey, we need you to go to Colorado for a story. And that could be at any point during any day. So you sort of just have to be ready for it. So to counterbalance that, there's a lot of things that I do. Uh, We talked about Mark Twain. One of my favorite hobbies is writing. I'm also, uh, through the pandemic, uh, when I was a kid, I uh, played the piano and I realized that I wanted to learn again. And there's a great app that I found and I actually bought a piano. So I started teaching myself how to play piano, (laughs) which has been really fun. And it's like the things for me where I can just sort of disconnect from the news cycle, even just for a short time and plug into my inner creative being that really helped me, uh, you know, recharge because you just never know when that next tragedy or that next disaster it's going to happen and you want to be, you know, feeling like you're, you're ready to go physically and mentally for it. So reflecting on your time at the University of Georgia, after you graduated and started your career, what is one skill that you didn't know you needed and had to learn once you began your career? 
I'd say probably adaptability. I remember early on in my career, I had a very finite set of goals that I wanted to accomplish. And I think that I didn't realize that as time was going on, that my industry was changing so much that those goals became quite antiquated along the way. And I think that that's the case with any career. You always have to be adaptable. You always have to be able to pivot. You always need to be able to sharpen your skill set. When you start thinking that you're the best at something, you know, that's probably not a great thing uh, because you can always educate yourself more on a variety of different things. You may have very specific goals and I would applaud you and I would cheer you on, but also be willing to adapt if the circumstances uh, change at the same time. As we come to a close, I typically ask guests for advice for journalism students as my final question, but you and I kind of already touched on that earlier. So as we end, my final question is, if you could go back to your time at the University of Georgia in the journalism program, is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah, there's one big thing, and that is I would have studied abroad. I can't emphasize enough, especially in my career, I travel so much, I've seen so much of the country and the world, and it's just so amazing to go and see places that you've never been before and to immerse yourself in new cultures. And I wish, I, I at certain points in college, I felt overwhelmed and I felt like I had so much I had to do and I, need, I was trying to get a job. And I wish that I had just taken a deep breath and I had gone and studied abroad for a semester or two because everybody who I've talked to in uh, hindsight has told me that was one of their most enjoyable experiences in Georgia. So that would be my biggest advice is if you can study abroad, do it because you're young, you don't really have any true responsibilities, even though I know it feels like you do. And, uh, you know, in your, in your late teens, early 20s, like those are awesome years to go study somewhere in a country that you know nothing about and to learn all about, uh, you know, a new culture and uh, uh, a new country. So that would be my, my best advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on The Lead. I really appreciate you sharing your stories and talking a little bit about your career. Absolutely. And uh, go dogs. Thanks so much, Caroline. Thanks for tuning into The Lead. And thanks again to Will for joining us on this episode. I'm your host, Caroline Odom. This episode was produced with guidance from Dr. Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and to hear from more media leaders, subscribe to The Lead on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Lead Podcast. Until next time.